0: We're glad you're here today. Thank you so much for being part of the house, celebrating with us, worshiping with us. It's an honor. Friday night, Robin and I were at the ball game. We're rolling up on 21 years of Friday night lights. We've been going for our girls that cheered. We show up on Friday night and uh, I have the extreme pleasure of sitting in front of the cheerleaders, never seeing the ball game uh i'm 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 required by my wife to sit in front of the cheerleaders and cheer them on so for 21 years i've never even seen a football game it's just uh, (laughs) at this final year our daughter stella is her senior year so we're kind of in the this is the last year mode we want to go out have fun so we're sitting right in front of the cheerleaders which is this little section in the stands on about the 15 yard line which would be fine, uh, but s- beside me is about 300 uh, teenagers that because they're young, they stand up the whole time. So I was like, my God, just sit down. No, for four hours, they just stand and shout and the belly button's hanging out and just <laughs> snapping each other. I'm like, it's a ball game, you know? So I, it, the only way I see the game is at it, it about the 20-yard line that way. I get to go, God, there's football, right? Like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> So there, we're trying to go out in style one more year. So I go and get in line, and I want to get some French fries. If you've never had Friday night French fries, mm, they're unhealthy. They're the worst thing nutritionally for you. But, but I don't know why God didn't use them for communion. Because, <laughs> I mean, they're greasy. They have enough salt to stop your heart. But, but they're just good. They're so so that, that one moment of, I'm going to get me some French fries, man, extra crispy. With, and they, and they, our, our high school's at a different level. They use Heinz ketchup. It's like, yes, yes. And so I'm there. I get in line. And by that, I mean you're going to wait for 40 minutes because everybody wants French fries. I get up there and I say, hey, I just want an order of fries. And they're like, we're out. Oh my God. At that moment, I forget I'm a preacher. I forget I could be a follower of Jesus. And then my brain is like, how could you be out? It's not even the first quarter. This is bad management. What's going on? And then I start freaking out. Like, I, I, I've waited all week for greasy fries. Like, my whole, you know. So, I, I choose a hamburger. So, I get the hamburger. Robin, like only a woman can do, comes down right at the moment I'm ordering. Like, she knows right when I stand up, she pops up. And I'm like, Oh, God oh, oh yeah, I waited in line for an hour, and now you show up. And she's like, well, I want a hamburger too. So, okay, I'll go you two hamburgers and some drinks, and $900 later, I got everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I walk up, I sit down, I'm enjoying my hamburger without my fries, but I'm learning to be thankful in all things, and I'm watching Stella. Occasionally, I try to embarrass her just to remind her that I birthed her or Robin did, but I'm the reason you're here. You have a house because of me. So occasionally, I'll, you know, just embarrass her. And then And then she looks at me like I'm going to kill you, Dad. And then I go, oh, yeah, you're right. And I'm there in the moment. Everything's happening. All of a sudden, they come to the 15. I'm like a football. So now I'm in it, football, cheer, hamburger, wife. We're all just loving life. And I hear something. And and now when I heard it, I perceived it to be God because it, it came as a thought that I wasn't even having which lends itself to this moment. I Typically by Friday night, I always know what I'm going to talk about on Sunday. I'm rolling it in my heart. I've got it. I'm ready to go. But sitting there with a burger in the moment, I heard the term Sunday I want you to talk about sadness and I I knew in that moment I was like okay that was such a strange thought because I'm not thinking sadness except french fries but beyond that I was like, talk about sadness. Like, I've never preached on sadness. I mean, just the, just the word is just that. Who wants to come to church and go, hey, I heard a great message on sadness. So <laughs> I'm kind of, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Like, that's not even inspiring. But I knew because the way it resonated in my heart that I, I stopped for a moment. I gathered my thought and I thought, okay, sadness. And this is what I heard. I perceive it to be the voice of God because the way I heard it. It was not audible but it resonated in my heart and I heard the Lord say I want you to talk about sadness because I'm gonna have people there Sunday who I want to help find freedom so I don't know where you sit in the line of sadness today but I went home had a busy day yesterday usually it's all together but I I came home I threw it all down I was like okay God I'll, I'll do it So if you're here today, this is probably not the norm, but I want to to give you something that perhaps God knows something going on in your life that would shift what I needed to talk about today to talk about this thing called sadness. Here's the definition. It's emotional pain. Now the thing I know about emotional pain, it's oftentimes the worst pain. Because physical pain, I have options a lot. I have, I have Tylenol, Advil, codeine, doctors, chiros. I've got a lot of options for physical pain i can stretch i can go to the gym emotional pain is a little different it's deeper it follows you it wakes up with you it rides in the car with you it talks to you it it whispers to you it shows up in your dreams it it'll it'll meet you at a red light it'll show up at the gym you'll be in the middle of a movie and it'll be there emotional pain It's one of the deepest pains of people as humans. I don't know why God made us emotional. He should have just done physical and spiritual, but he gave us these dad burn things called emotions where we can know hurt, we can know pain as well as joy, we can know sorrow as well as happiness, I can know love as well as hate, and it seems so unfair that I've been lumped into a body on a broken world and I have to deal with these emotions. And I would love to tell you that if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll never have emotional pain. You'll just live a a beautiful life of great joy. But I've been around long enough to know that life is not fair and rarely does it vote. It hits us all. It hits us all in ways that sometimes we can think, I didn't deserve this. Why me? Why did God have this to me? It hits us in ways that feels unfair that I feel like those people should have it coming to them, not me. I'm a good person. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? The whole, especially if you're a Christian, where's God? Where's God when I need Him? If you're following Jesus, does the Lord even know my pain and sorrow? And so it defines itself this way as sadness. It's emotional pain associated with several words. Five of them. Disappointment. Disappointment is the... uh, it is the first step of sadness. It's just something didn't go well. Uh, your pants don't fit anymore. Disappointment. Your, your car needs gas and you're in a hurry. Disappointment. Everybody has it. Everybody has disappointments, different levels. You studied real hard for a test, you flunked. You, you practiced real hard for cheer comp, you didn't have it. Everybody's got disappointments. He was good looking when you married him and then d- disappointment. Disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointment is something just didn't turn out the way you thought, but it's easy. We usually can handle it well. Hopefully you've got some good skills to suck it up, maybe get over it. But it, it, it goes to a different level now with this next word, loss. Because it intimates that there's some pains that you can't get back. It's uh, getting the phone call that your wife has been killed by a drunk driver. It's getting the phone call that they, they checked uh, your baby and that there's no heartbeat. It's getting the phone call where no matter what you do, there's no getting this back. Maybe it was a decision that you made. There's no getting it back. Maybe it was abortion. Maybe it was a divorce. Whatever it is, it's a loss that you can't get back. And so it carries deeper weight to it. It carries a deeper feeling when you're facing something that there's, it's never going to change. It, it, we would use these terms: it is what it is. And you kind of have to readjust life. You have to readjust birthdays. It's a father that left you. It's a parents that divorced. And so the loss has required a shifting of life. It's a brother you had to bury. It's a sister that uh, died young. It, it, you know, so I have to reshift. I have to think differently about Christmas now. I have to, every birthday is different. So it, now it's forcing me to change a little bit. The loss forces me to look at life differently, but then the third word is a deeper sadness. It's the word despair. And despair means it it is a hopelessness. It's it's just feeling like there's no reason to keep going. Nothing works for me. It is a place where you, you come that really it doesn't matter what anybody says to you, it doesn't fix anything. They can say things like, I'm praying for you, but it really doesn't change because you're like, well, I need more than prayer, but thanks. Hey, I just want you to know I got your back. Oh, I need more than having my back. I'm about to lose my house. Like hopelessness comes that no matter what other people say, you feel stuck. Encouragement doesn't even make you feel better. You're in a place now you need more than just a pat on the back, add a boy, got you covered, praying for you. Because you're the one that's in, maybe it wasn't a loss like physical, but it was a loss of a dream. It's something you thought. It's what you thought being married would be like, but it didn't turn out that way. He wasn't who you thought he was. It's what you thought about parenting, but the child you got, it didn't turn out the way you thought. And, And so the loss turns into a hopelessness of, this is not what I bargained for. This is not what I wanted. And so despair, hopelessness kicks in. And now once hopelessness kicks in, you will start saying things like this, it it is what it is. I just got to deal with it. It is what it is. Because hopelessness affords you no opportunity that it could be different. It just lends itself of suck it up and deal with it, buttercup, because that's life. And you do to the best of your ability. But it's still the only reason you're doing it is because it's all I have to do. There's nothing else I can do. So I just pull my big girl pants on and throw my shoulders back and go, "All right, I'll just get there." But it goes deeper than that because once you're at a place of despair, it moves into helplessness. It moves into a place, and and the word helplessness will be defined better this way: you feel stuck. It's no matter what I do, nothing works. They said, go to church. I went to church. Nothing changed. They said, tithe. If you're broke, give 10% to God. I did. I got more broke. They said, let the elders pray for you. You'd get better. I didn't get better. They told me to read my Bible. They told me to pray. Nothing's changing. Helplessness is, no matter what I do, nothing works. And so sadness is far greater than just, I stumped my toe, I sprained my ankle, disappointment. Sadness has a way that as we journey through this thing called life, the truth be known, we'll all have disappointment and probably all have loss. I won't say probably, we'll all have loss. If Jesus does not come, everybody in this room will be buried one day. And that's a hard day for anybody. But in these losses and disappointments of this journey called life, We're silly to think that being a Christian, I can stave off disappointment or loss. But I will say, as a follower of Jesus, you can stave off despair, helplessness, and sorrow. So though it all kind of throws itself in a bag and you shake it up, and the end result is deep sorrow. The end result is you lose the joy for living. The end result is if you do enjoy life, you feel guilty and by the time you hit sorrow you're now a victim you're defined by it it is who you are every birthday is defined by the sadness every christmas the sadness every date on the calendar marked by the sadness i can't now it can be it it can even be churches pastors it can be leaders that disappointed you a, a boss that fired you a father that said something hurtful to you, but it created these words of despair and hopelessness and sorrow. And then we just become a product of that. And the worst thing for a follower of Jesus is to become a product of sadness. And I would be remiss to act like you'll never have an opportunity to be sad because it hits all of us. And it hits, as I said a moment ago, unfairly. What does the Bible say? It rains on the just and the unjust. And there's something about my soul that feels like if I'm a God person and I'm serving Him, by God, I should have no disappointments in life. And when they hit me, I start going, okay, where's God? Why me? I don't understand. I serve you. You didn't even do this for me. And then my disappointments are beginning to cause me to redefine who God is to me. I redefine who you are to me because maybe you've let me down. I redefine what life is doing to me because rather than charging forward, I've cowered down and I just exist now. And I'm not even who I was. I'm a shell of who I could be. My dream is no more. Uh, I guess this is the best I ever got. And so sitting there Friday night, you can imagine as I'm realizing this is not about a French fry problem. And I hear the Lord say, I want to help some people today. So I don't know if I would assume, just assuming, that the room is probably riddled with this because it's life. It's what we do. So I dug a scripture out. Psalm 6, verse 6 and 7. I'm worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. Verse 7, my vision is blurred by grief and my eyes are worn out because of my enemies. I can read that at age 58 now and it's not a psalm to me, it's life. I've been there. I love Jesus with my whole heart, but I have spent some nights crying my eyes out over things that I either felt were unfair or I was dealing with or struggling with. February 14th, I remember the, the time period, not the year. I think it was 1993, 94. Whenever it was, we were living in Johnson City, Tennessee, 304 Green Valley Drive, house sits up on a hill. I was in a pitiful place emotionally. It's, it's the book that I wrote. I was in a place of panic and fear. If you know my story, in my young years, Monica was killed by a drunk driver. And when Robin came into my life later, I had this overwhelming fear that if, if God couldn't take care of Monica, he couldn't take care of Robin. And so therefore, every time Robin got in a car, I would be in panic of, she's next. Well, well, if God's so good, he could have kept Monica alive, and he didn't. She got killed by a drunk driver. So Robin, and then if you want to compound that, have children. And then you start thinking, oh my God, what if my kids die? Crib death, this death, what if they, what if they... And you're just riddled with panic and fear. And February the 14th, it was 1 a.m. in the morning. I got out of bed. I went into the living room. I fell on the floor. I'm laying down. I have my Bible. And tears sobbing out of my eyes. I told God, I can't do it anymore. I can't live this way. It's miserable. I had such panic and fear, I couldn't go into hospital. I would get to the front door, and as soon as I would, my heart would race, i thought, I can't go in. I just can't. I would ask the pastor that I work for, I, I, I don't want to go to hospitals and pray for people. Like, I just, I can't. I can't get through the door. I, Robin, at that time, there would you know, be these ER shows on TV, and I'd have to flip through. Like, I can't, my mind can't handle it. Now, I loved Jesus, I'm sure some people will say, well, it's a devil. You just don't have enough faith. You you don't pray hard enough. I get it. I understand all the religious terms. Whatever term you pick, it didn't matter. Tears are still flowing out of my eyes and I feel miserable. And the one thing I know, verse seven, that sadness will do and hopelessness and despair and sorrow will do, it'll blur your vision. You won't be able to see the future you'll get so caught up in what's going on right now and the problem right now, you can't even enjoy tomorrow. You look in the mirror and see your body. You can't even enjoy that you're healthy, you're happy, you love life, you've got great friends, a great family, but you see yourself, and when you see yourself, the sadness overwhelms that the sadness causes you to miss everything else because of this one thing. One thing sadness will do is it blurs your vision. You get caught up in it. You, you get sucked into it. You can't see tomorrow. You can't see what you have at your fingertips. You miss everything because of the disappointments. You thought you would lose weight. You didn't. You thought you would win the game. You didn't. You thought your cheer team, but you didn't. You thought your marriage, but it didn't. You thought your children, but they didn't. And all of a sudden, it, it, looking in the mirror, I lose sight of the dream or the hope that I really wanted. If you want to watch it play out, go watch high school sports or really any sport. Typically, however, at a you know, professional level a little different, but definitely college and high school and watch a team losing. And watch the demeanor on the sidelines change when they start losing. Because it's biblical They start losing their vision and they become blurred in the moment. And now rather than going out going, my God, we're a great team. We could score. They go out with a bad attitude of what happened the last four downs. They go out with a bad attitude of who dropped who in that stunt and their vision becomes blurred they lose sight that everybody has disappointments everybody fumbles everybody drops somebody everybody has a bad day suck it up and let's get back out there and let's get our vision in front of us and let's run for something bigger than ourselves i felt like that was a speech i should have <laughs> but i know i'm not a coach i'm not i'm a man trying to raise children, married, trying to pastor. And I do know this, though, sadness can blur your vision. You look at 400 people coming on a Sunday, you can't even enjoy the 400 because you beat yourself up about your sermon because sadness blurs your vision. So in that, I went to a scripture. I don't encourage it if you're sad. Stay away from Ecclesiastes. It's the worst book ever for sad people. I told you life sucked. Read that. (laughs) If you're sad, don't read Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon, maybe, not Ecclesiastes. Stay away from it. So I go to Ecclesiastes, and this is what he says in chapter 7. He says, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. I, when I read that last night, I stopped. I thought, this bro had some bad partying. <laughs> he went to a bad party, smoked something he shouldn't, and now he thinks it's better to go to a funeral. Because I really had to pause. I'm like, what kind of life do you, what kind of party do you have to attend to come home? How was the party? I'd rather go to a funeral. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's some terrible partying. I partied hard, but never that hard. But he said it's better to be at a funeral than at a party. So I have to stop and I have to think about that. What, what is he trying to tell us? What, that doesn't even logically make sense to me. And I kept reading. It said, after all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. And then I knew what he meant. I knew that in the party and moments, we don't really think about life. We think about the moment. In the party, it's the moment. It's who's in front of me right now? What am I feeling right now? But at a funeral, if you got to go to them, but everyone I've been at, there's this weird moment, this strange moment in a funeral where you self-reflect about yourself. You, you see the dead person. You kind of put your arm a little tighter around your wife and go, oh, okay. You realize how brief life can be. And it causes you to self-reflect. I think that's what he's saying. I don't think he says a funeral is is more fun. He said, but it's better to spend your time because at the funeral, you will self-reflect on what life is all about. And when you do that, there's a better outcome for you than just partying all the time. So today, maybe the sadness is God wants us to take something to heart today. Maybe he wants us to quit being victims. And maybe he wants you to understand we all have good and bad days. And maybe he wants you to understand, get your vision back. Stop becoming a victim. you know, Keep on keeping on. And then verse 3. It states this, sorrow is better than laughter. And then, man, this phrase for sadness has a refining influence on all of us. It doesn't say a defining influence, it says a refining influence. Because the, the real problem with sadness is when it defines you. It, you become the sadness. You become the disappointment. You become the victim. You, you own it. You, it. It becomes everything. You can't even enjoy life now. You can't enjoy Christmas now. You've become the disappointment. But when you shift defining to refining, you realize that in the journey of life, we all have ups and downs and disappointments and sorrows and losses. But dear God, I'm not about to let it define me. I'm going to let it refine me. In other words, in the middle of the sorrow, I'm going to get my vision back. Because I do know this about sorrow. It's selfish. Sadness is selfish. Because when you're disappointed and sorrowful and hopeless and despairing, it's selfish. It's about me, me, and me, and how I feel, and what this is doing to me, and, and me, me. That's why we seek parties, because parties pamper our flesh and help us not really worry about the big things for all the little things right now, but you can't live in a perpetual party. So therefore, go to a funeral and think about life because life has an end and you need to live it well. So I find often in my experience that sadness and disappointment usually defines people rather than causing them to look at life differently. Because the truth is, when sadness hits, if I refine myself, I can find joy amidst the sorrow. I can find hope amidst the hopelessness. So what I would like to do is I want to give you four things to refine this when sorrow hits you. Again, I I have to believe what I heard on Friday is that it'll help somebody to, to find a... I guess what I would ask of you is to self-reflect over the next four points and ask yourself, is this the refining that you need? The first one comes here. It's not even a biblical, well, it's a concept, but it doesn't come from the Bible. My uh, quirk, one of them, I have 287,000 of them, but one, is I enjoy studying culture and different cultures. I love that. And in that, I, I'm, I'm on this kick of studying why people live so long. I've always said that I'm going to make it to be 100. That's my goal. But I've realized at 58, I've got a lot of kinks and twinks going on. And I'm like, man, a hundred's a long way away. <laughs> and so that's got me checking out cultures that live long and what do they do and how do they live and what do they eat. And Well, in that, I came across this concept in Okinawa, and the term is ikigai. It is a concept, a philosophy of life that old people employ in their culture. And the concept is ikigai means the reason to live. From what I've studied, there is no concept of retiring in Japan. They don't throw their old people into a nursing home And retire with nothing to do. They believe in their culture that the older you get, there's still reason to live. Now they may quit doing the thing that paid the money, but they wake up the next day still doing life, still contributing to society, still meeting with friends, still doing work, still gardening. still. And these people are 98, 99, 100. And they're not on walkers. They're there because of a this one thing this there was many of them, but this was one of them that they wake up with purpose They wake up with a reason to get up The worst thing to do in america is I can't wait to retire You better change that philosophy because the moment you stop having a reason to live you rot So get up keep going my dad's 87 he gets up he walks a mile every day He goes to the post office every day He goes golfing. He still eats hamburgers. What a reason to live. (laughs) But he has a reason to live. And it keeps him going. So I thought, as I've mused over this the last several months, that perhaps followers of Jesus lose the reason to live. And we become selfish. And we become disappointed and disillusioned with despair, all the while saying that our God is the God. So I've come through some things that I think Christians should employ as reasons to keep going even amidst the sorrow. First one is this. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, And if our hope is in Christ only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anybody in the world. Just let that soak in a minute. He's telling us that if the only reason you serve Jesus is so it goes good for you now, you should be more pitied than anyone else on the planet. I don't even like that scripture. I'm like, that sounds so rude. It sounds so hurtful. But I do find that a lot of people get stuck in hopelessness and helplessness because when their Jesus doesn't perform for them now... They get bitter, mad and angry and hurt and hopeless and helpless because their little Jesus, their four-leaf clover, their lucky rabbit named Jesus is not performing for them and they they lose sight of the eternal reward. I wish Jesus answered 100% of every prayer. But I do know this. There has not been one follower that crossed over Jordan and got in his presence and thought, well, I'm ripped off. Not one. Now, I know you may think your loved one wants to come back. They don't. Well, I just wish my child would come back. Well, he doesn't. They're thankful they're with the Father. And they're like, Mom, you can come up here later. I ain't coming back down there in South Georgia with gnats and all of that. It's awesome up here. But in my selfish behavior, which some of that is normal, we're human, I want to serve the Jesus that fixes everything now. And we market that Jesus to people. He'll heal your headache. He'll fix your marriage. Yeah, but what if he doesn't heal your headache and fix your marriage? You're going to give up on him? Because Tylenol can fix your headache. Advil can fix your headache. A good counselor can fix your marriage. But none of those people can give you eternal life. So there has to be something. There has to be something at the baseline of a Christian that when you hit disappointment and Jesus is not performing for you, that you don't get your feelings hurt because I'm working on the moment when Jordan parts and I step into the glory and he says, welcome home, son. It's so good to see you. And I still may have a hundred unanswered prayers, but I'm up there going, God, here I am. And he looks at me and says, well done, boy. Come on into my presence. And when I come into my presence, don't cry for me. Don't whine for me. Yeah, you can miss me and go, I wish dad was here, but I'm going to be up there going, I wish they were with me. Don't tell them that. Right? Like, that is what we shoot for. Now, I know American culture, we sell the other Jesus. The only one that exists for the moment, the lucky charm Jesus, the the genie in a bottle Jesus, the four-leaf clover Jesus, the lucky rabbit's foot Jesus. And when he doesn't perform for us, we're ticked, we're mad, and we act like God doesn't exist. So you have to start with disappointment here. There is a life to come, and it will reward you one day. All right, second thing. This is so powerful to me that I had to share it because it's the tattoo that's on my arm. It's that meaningful. I told the girls, they always wanted me to do a tattoo. I said, not unless it's meaningful. If it is, long term, I'll do it and I did it. This is the scripture of Ecclesiastes 3. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Now, I wish I could tell you disappointment will never hit you. Despair might grab a hold of you. But I'll say this, in those moments, you have an option. You can either focus on the hell or you can find the beauty somewhere. I'm not talking about that. That philosophy that says, oh, just find beauty in the pain. I'm not talking about that. There's no beauty in that. That's miserable. So I don't know who told you that. Just find beauty in the fact that they left you. No, there's no beauty in that. Just find beauty in the cancer. The Lord will teach I mean, No, there's no beauty in that. I don't want it. But I will tell you, in the middle of hell, if you'll just look up, look around somewhere, there's something out there in your life that is Beautiful. And oftentimes, I think it's why the funeral is so important more than the party, because at the funeral, you reflect long enough to realize, oh my God, I'm still alive. I still have friends. I still have opportunity. I still have a wife beside me. Oh my God. Like you, you, you come to this thinking that, that there's beauty all around me. And the worst thing to do in sadness is focus on the sadness. We all have it. Get your mind off of it and find something beautiful. And it doesn't even have to be spiritual. It just needs to be something that puts a smile on your face. It just needs to be something that says, oh, man, thank God for this, rather than why that. Thank God for this. I told you that my daughter Stella is graduating this year, which is, oh, I'm so thankful. (laughs) I have survived. I have that Queen song, I've paid my dues. Time after time, I've done my sentence, but committed no crime. Hands have my say. I'm a of few. That's the way I feel. I like. I, I'm so thankful. I made it. None of them are in prison. They hadn't killed us. I'm not a lifetime movie with my children going. I just couldn't stand daddy anymore. You know. <laughs> just like. <laughs> Robin, however, is a little different. She's in an emotional state. I'm happy. She's like. <laughs> I just don't know what to do with my life. I'm like, what are you talking about, what to do with your life? We're free. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. Free at last. I just don't know what to do. 29 years, I've toted them everywhere. I've taken them to Target and ballgames. I don't know what to do with my life anymore. I'm like, you still got me? <laughs> no, know. I, I don't want you. I want my children. I feel so lost. I mean, like, so that's going on. Like, I don't even understand this. Like, this is the moment we've waited for. Like, no children in the house. Well, that's the goal. They keep coming home. But likely... <laughs> no children. That means we could walk around with no clothes. I mean, this is wonderful. This is the greatest thing ever. Like, how... And she's crying, like, sobbing. I'm like, are, and then I start seeing Google searches on the family that's over-enmeshed, and I'm like, that's you, you're enmeshed. You're so enmeshed, you gotta learn to live free. So I said, look, rather than thinking Stella's graduating and you don't know what to do, and she's driving now, and she can take herself places, which is wonderful, but I just love driving her and having mama time. I said, I understand. I said, but look, you gotta focus All things beautiful, baby, tattoo right there. All things, You gotta find something beautiful. Okay. Okay. So she did. (laughs) Oh my God. Not a kid, another kid. Jesus, a kid. Right when I got rid of a kid, she brings home another child. Oh my God. Puts a little bow on him, makes him look gay. I'm like, oh my God. Jesus, woman, you're turning this dog into a female and then named him Rooster. I'm like, no, now he's going to be confused. Gender confusion. Going to run around thinking he's a chicken. Oh, my Lord. Oh, oh, let me tell you. Oh, she didn't care about Stella anymore. This is the new baby. She'll even be talking with people. Go, let me tell you about my baby. I'm thinking she's talking about Stella. She ain't talking about Stella. Stella's gone. This dog... This dog, this dog is her new beauty. But it, it just lit her soul on fire. She just was talking to you all day, my dog, my dog. She doesn't even show pictures of children. I'm like, Honey, we have humans now. Dog, just look at my dog. Oh, look at him. Oh, oh, he's a, oh yeah, here he is sleeping by me. Oh, here he is. Uh, oh, look how cute he is. Oh, look at him there. I'm like, oh my Lord, even on dates we have to talk about the new kid. <laughs> I said that to say that. Sometimes you over-spiritualize beauty. Sometimes you just need something to be thankful for rather than the sorrow. And it can be as simple as a dog, but the dog shifted my, what did I say? It shifted me into seeing something different. It's the same situation. Kid is graduating, but now I'm focused rather than on the sorrow, on something that brings me joy. So right now, if you're all bitter and mad and frustrated... Come get a dog. <laughs> Third one. I hope this helps you. It's difficult to do this, but... Second Corinthians 1, All praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Verse 4 of Corinthians 1, He comforts us in all of our troubles, and then this here, so we can comfort others. I have found that in the middle of a disappointment, despair, and sorrow, one of the greatest things you can do is turn your focus to helping somebody else. I know it hurts, and I know you want to revel in your sorrow, but something supernatural happens when you begin to help someone else. Even in the midst of you hurting... Wanting somebody to comfort you wanting somebody to think about you when you just go, you know what I'm dusting myself off I'm gonna call somebody down. I'm gonna pour into them and help them and It can be simple. It can be just buying a cup of coffee for a friend. It can be helping someone else clean their home It doesn't ha- again. It doesn't have to be spiritual It just needs to be something that gets you planting a seed somewhere else than your own sorrow it gets you planting and now, you know, Robin and I in our life, we, we've had, you know, a, a time when our marriage in 2010 and yet now we can use what was so sorrowful and troubling in a moment of, uh, you know, our life that we can now help others. Amen. And there's great joy in that. Yeah. It, it keeps you from throwing a pity party. The, the, the last one, the fourth one. I don't like this because it doesn't feel good to me, but it's Bible. It says never stop praying. And I find oftentimes in despair and sorrow, it's easy to quit that because we think, well, God already knows. Well, if He loved me, He would. And I've already prayed and nothing's happened. So we just kind of throw prayer to the wind. But I want to tell you something. There's something very supernaturally Engaging when even amidst the pain, you still call out to Him, and you've done it a million times, but you do it a million and one. Never stop praying. And there have been times in my journey where I thought, "Well, it's no use. I mean, I'm still praying. I'm still believing nothing. He's done nothing for me. So I don't know. I mean, He's God, and He's God. He's fate. It's all fate anyway. He's going to do what He wants. So why? No, 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 no. Keep praying, Mark. There's something he wants you to keep seeking him. He wants you to keep coming to him. And maybe the reason he said never stop praying is he knew the moment you did, you're going to reach out to old habits and old addictions and old friends and old things that comfort things. You're comforting things that that are not going to help you refine. They're going to define you because you quit spending time with the God of all comfort. Yes, prayer doesn't always feel like it works. Yes, it feels futile at times. Yes, it feels like God's not listening at times. But he says just keep coming and keep praying and don't throw in the towel and don't give up. And then he says this, and this is the phrase that stings, be thankful in all circumstances. I don't think the thanksgiving is, well, I'm glad she's dead and i got to be Thankful. I think the thankfulness is in the circumstance of the pain. I, I understand the power of gratitude. Like I, I stay grateful even in the hurt. I, I, I open my mouth and I give God the praise. I I Lord, I don't feel like praising you, but I'm gonna praise you anyway. I, I don't see a reason here to praise you but I know there are reasons to praise you. So I'm going to find another reason and I'm going to praise you anyway. Like I have to learn to be thankful, not because this is a hell hole, but in the blue because I can be thankful because I belong to Jesus. And I know if I belong to Jesus, I know he'll work all things together. So in the middle of this hell, in the middle of the loss, in the middle of the despair, I'm just going to keep praying. And my Lord, I'm going to stay thankful. I'm not going to be some bitter little cuss of a man, this irritated 24-7, because my life didn't turn out the way I thought. I'm just going to praise you, God. Oh, man, come on. And I, just when you praise him, the environment shifts. The, the, the mood around you begins to change. Everything begins to shift. Nothing has changed. I mean, it, it's all there, but you start changing. You, you start shifting in the way you see it. You, you realize you're not just a victim, but you, you possess the God of the eternal within your soul. It makes you want to get up anyway and just let me tell you what he's done for me I'll tell you what he's done for me. He ain't done nothing for me. Yeah, that's because you're focused on the sadness But when you focus on what he's done for you, look what the Lord has done. He healed my body He touched my mind. He saved me just in time Oh, I'm on a you know, you just gotta praise him So now Yeah, give God a praise. It's worthy And I wish I could say, preaching to you on Sunday, everything's always great, but some days I wake up and I have to still remember the beauty. (laughs) Except I don't see, you, you notice what's gone now? His nice little, nice little bandana. He chews every wash rag in the house. He doesn't chew them, he eats them. And who has to clean the poop? Dad? Dad does that, and occasionally a child. And when they do, they feel like that's their eternal reward. I go outside to clean the poop. The poop has wash rags in it. I'm like, that dog ate the whole wash rag. But look at his little eyes. He's like, Dad, I love you. He doesn't care if I'm fat. He doesn't care if I'm late. He doesn't care if I'm eating popcorn or Oreos. He wants some. He doesn't care if it's French. Now, Robin, a comment, you don't need to eat that. It's unhealthy. Look at his little eyes. He's like, please, please, just let me have a a milk chocolate almond. Just give me 22 grapes. Now, the kids are like, dad, grapes will kill him. But I don't tell him that's a lie. I just occasionally slip him one. Look at him. He's like, Stella's not looking. Give me a grape. Mom's gone. Can I have that Oreo now? Do you see? I think we complicate life so much. Because we get irritated by the littlest of things that we just miss the beauty of things. We miss the beauty that's all around us because of the irritations. It's easy to miss the beauty in a dog when he chews the wash rag. But there's beauty all the way around. It's easy to miss the beauty in life when the person you love said they don't love you anymore. It's easy to miss the beauty in life when you get a bad doctor's report or a... Life just didn't deal you a good set of cards. But today, if you'll refine yourself by focusing on the eternal, the beauty, the comfort, and the thanks, those four things are my best way to tell you how you don't have to become a victim anymore. And how you don't have to live in the land of sadness eternally of how you can face things that come against you that hurt, but you can continue to press on. Because when you adopt these things into the life of a follower of Jesus, you'll find joy in the journey amidst the sorrow. You'll find a reason to get up and keep going. And God will bless you. Do me a favor, if you will, bow your head for a moment. Now, I did my part of what I heard on Friday night at that game. And now I would like to ask you, perhaps like Solomon said, that maybe take a moment and before you start thinking about the the lunch and the football today or what you have in front of you, perhaps one moment to reflect on where you are in your life. Are you letting sadness define you, disappointment, hurts, and sorrows? Are you focused on the wrong things? Have these hurts and disappointments defined who you are? Is every Christmas ruined because of the sadness? Every birthday ruined? You don't enjoy life because it's, life has hurt so bad? I will tell you this life is not always fair and it doesn't always deal the cards the same. But God never changes, He's eternally faithful. If you serve Him, you won't have regret. So would you just maybe for the next 30 seconds reflect on where you are? I cannot do for you what god can do. I downloaded it to you the best i got. I don't think you have to make it that hard. It's not a magic pill we take. It's adopting a new way of life. It's realizing that even in disappointment i belong to god and I'll continue to reach out and pray to him, go to him, call out to him. And in the midst of sorrow, I refuse to become selfish and make it about me. But I'll find the beauty in other things and I'll be thankful there. Rather than dwelling on what I hate, how about I find something I love and, and, and wake up with a reason to live? And how about I become aware of other people's hurts so that I could maybe make an investment to them? And rather than pouting that life didn't go well yesterday, that I get my vision back. And I go after that dream and I go after that purpose. And rather than thinking life dealt me a cheap hand here and I didn't expect this, how about getting your vision back? I don't know who that's... You've lost vision because of hurt. You've lost joy of life because of disappointment. As a father, natural father, I would fix it for you if I could. But my best effort is to take you to a heavenly father. Because he knows you. But you've got to trust him. And as it said, sometimes in trust we don't see the scope of all of His work. We're stuck in the moment of, and we don't see Him working. But He does say, if you'll give me time, I am working. Don't become a victim in this moment. And don't lose sight of joy of living on planet Earth. And don't lose sight of an eternal reward that awaits you. Would you stand with me if you will our team of prayer our elders will be up here to pray for you if you need prayer I'll be up here as well with Robin I did the best to download to you things I've employed to help me I, I I'm gonna leave it here on the TV for you I'll simply say try it and watch what happens it'll shift you I'm gonna bless you and pray a prayer We're gonna come and partake of communion. If you're new, we, we take communion together. We go back to our seat. We have a moment with Jesus. Pastor Phil will come at the end and dismiss us. So, Father God, right now, I pray that the words I spoke will be breathed upon by the Spirit of God. I pray that you do what you prompted in my heart that today people leave this building with freedom. And the undue sorrow and the hurt and the pain will begin to subside as we incorporate your truth. I bless our communion now as we come to say thank you for your death, thank you for your life, as we come, Father God, to give our offerings, to say thank you for your provision. We do such with faith. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may come for giving and you may come for communion. Have a moment with the Lord Jesus.